first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. Got a couple guests for you tonight. Um, first of all, my co-host, Mark Garash, host of the Don't Call It a Rebuild. It's a team build podcast. We're going to do another uh, combo pod. So, Mark, how's it going tonight? I'm doing well. How about you, Brandon? Happy 4th of July. Yeah, happy 4th of July. This uh, this recording may be punctuated by the sound of uh, fireworks and or gunshots. I'm never quite sure out here in the country. <laughs> <laughs> And um, we've got a special guest for you guys tonight, someone who I'm, I'm actually really interested to talk to, um, Ian Castleberry, who is the, of course, the originator and founder, our Moses, as it were, um, here at Bless You Boys, back in the day, um, brought, uh, brought podcasting and, and social media content to the masses um, before just about anybody in, in Tiger's land. Um, now writing for Awful Announcing, um, a couple different podcasts, the podcast, um, got a movie podcast, up to a whole bunch of stuff. Ian, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you guys invited me on. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. I don't I don't necessarily want to entirely like demand the whole history of Bless You Boys from your perspective, but uh, I, I am very curious to talk about this a little bit. Yeah. Well, we can run through it. I mean, I'm glad. Actually, I'm glad I, l- I listened to the last edition of this podcast because I, I heard you at the end and, and, and you just said it there. I actually did not create Bless You Boys. I am not the founder. I was the third person oh, really? to take over. Bless you, boys. Uh, when it was launched in 2005, and it actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because it took me some research to find out I could not remember off the top of my head who created Bless You Boys. And you know, since SB Nation has gone through a couple of uh, CMS changes and so forth, uh, the original writer of Bless You Boys is now known as uh, Vox Media User Five One Three Four One. Oh yeah. yeah, but his name is Jeff Gray. Uh, and he started uh, Bless You Boys uh, in 2005. Um, and I think he did it for a year. And then uh, Mark Masson took it over in 2006. Wow. And I took over Bless You Boys uh, before the 2007 season. Ah, right on. Okay, so you got in like, you know, right about just about the perfect time, like right after the, the perfect season there in 2006 or almost perfect. But uh, that must have been a pretty damn exciting time to be doing some podcasting, which was kind of a new thing. And, uh, and having the Tigers be good for the first time in, you know, 20 plus years at that point. Yeah, there probably wasn't a better time to, to uh, start a Tigers blog. I mean, I, I did kind of, uh, I, I lucked out in that regard. I wish I could have uh, written BYB uh, in 2006. I was blogging, but uh, not at BYB. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, this was, it was a different time. I sound like a real old man here, but I mean, Twitter... Uh, I don't think Twitter didn't start, I believe, until 2009. Yeah. No, 2009. Yeah. So this was before Twitter. Facebook w- was still, you know, pretty much just like a, a college social network. 
but uh, I mean, yeah, I was one of the first uh, SB Nation bloggers to start a Twitter account, to start a Facebook page. Uh, I mean, that was in, in very early days uh, as a way of trying to get uh, engagement. And I mean, it was such early days with Twitter that I mean, I don't think anybody knew what they were doing. And to me, it was just one of those things where, okay, well, I really need to concentrate on the site. Um, I don't know how I would have handled uh, dealing with Twitter uh, circa 2020 <laughs> <laughs> if I was if I was still uh, running Blushy Boys. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely evolved into a just a kind of its own sort of half hellscape, half just like you know, there, there's so much uh, so much power and content that you know coming across from from various accounts. There's so many things that are actually influenced by Twitter um, now that um, yeah, it's sort of become kind of its own. It's own self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. But, how, how, how many oh, writers did you have on staff with you? Do you remember? Uh, when I started, it was just me. Uh, uh, I, I remember I, I talked to Tyler Blazinski uh, when I was hired on. And my idea at the time, because, uh, you know, there, were, there was a pretty uh, uh, growing Tiger's blogosphere. You know, there was Bill Ferris and, and Lee Panis was doing Tiger Tales, Brian Borowski. Uh, w- was running a Tiger Blog, Mike McClary, uh, The Daily Fungo. So my idea was I, I kind of wanted to put together a team because I just didn't know if I could do it every day. I mean, when I was blogging on my own, I tried to blog every day, but the idea of, uh, of following one team every day and running uh, the game threads just seemed pretty daunting. And at yeah. the time, I was told, no, we really want somebody to just kind of establish a voice for the site uh, so we'd rather just you do it and then maybe we can revisit, uh, hiring some other people, uh, later on. Um, and, and this was even before, I mean, th- this was a different platform, uh, for SB nation. So I think they started the fan posts, uh, after my first year. Okay. So yeah. th- there wasn't really the opportunity for, for other writers to step in uh, until, the, the platform changed and, and other writers could contribute to fan posts. So by the time I left, I think we had maybe two or three other people helping out, but not not even so much writing as moderating the game threads. And that was something SB Nation was really pushing is that, I mean, to me, it was all about the writing, but SB Nation really wanted to create a, a community to get those game threads going. Uh, and I mean, if you look at those early uh posts those early game threads i mean the number of comments is is comical there were so few of them um (laughs) i had to sort of it was almost like live blogging just like talking to myself like oh inch hit a home run there and there would be no response it was just kind of talking to myself i i'm trying to think where exactly the change came i think it was maybe in the 2008 season at one point sb nation had a partnership with yahoo and SB Nation articles were getting syndicated through Yahoo. Oh, yeah. So that really helped in terms of getting people coming to the site. And eventually, a couple of people joined in the conversation on the game threads. And then they just, it snowballed and word of mouth came around. And more people uh, you know, were, were participating in the game threads each night. And, and that really became a thing. Yeah, and that really lasted until, you know, just like a couple of years ago, you know, it was to the point where there'd be, you know, thousands of comments, even on just a, 
a routine game in you know mid-May. Um, and then, yeah, we've seen the numbers just absolutely crater <laughs> since the Tigers have been bad. And, uh, you, know, you know, over the last two or three years, basically since the sell-off in 2017, it's almost like it's regressed kind of back to that. Um, you know, there's still that sort of hardcore community. And there, there's a lot of guys who comment who, you know, I know have been around since I, you know, kind of came on board to SB Nation as, as just a commenter on like, um, actually starting out on like mixed martial arts over at Bloody Elbow. But uh, that was like 2009, 2010. And um, yeah, I still see some of the same people out there. So that, that community part of it is cool. But yeah, it seems like, you know, really from that point on, it really, you know, it became much more of like a, you know, more of a blog, like more about the writing, more about the, the content that was being pr- produced and the analysis. And yeah, there's just been, there's been an awful lot of good writers um, along the way. Um, I've, I've definitely had the privilege of working with a lot of people. I missed you, but obviously I'm um, starting out working with um, Kurt Menching and, and Rob Rojacki at the same time was, um, yeah, pretty inspiring and uh, taught me an, an awful lot for someone who, you know, has been a writer, but not, not trained in journalism in, in any way. Um, re- really did a lot to, um, yeah, motivate me and, 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 and teach me and kind of get me on the, on the road to doing this full time or thereabouts. Well, I was learning on the fly when I started out. I mean, blogging was still like, you didn't even necessarily write during the game or after the game, it was, it was kind of the morning after, you know, and, and it, it took me a while. And uh, Mark Masson, who, who ran the site before me, I, I think kind of had to nudge me a little bit like, okay, you know, try to, try to get into these game threads. Cause I mean, that, that wasn't something I, my, my brain just wasn't there. It was, it was all about writing. Like famously Justin Verlander's uh, uh, first no hitter. Like I wasn't even on the site that night. Cause I just, I mean, it was just a game against the Milwaukee Brewers. And then like, I, I, I looked at the box score. Oh, I wonder how the Tigers did. And like, wait a minute, there are nothing but zeros here. What happened? <laughs> and then I, I go in and, and Mark just put up this little post, like Justin Verlander threw a no hitter. And again, there were very few comments, if any, uh, cause it just wasn't, enough of a thing back then but but that's that's what i had to learn i had to learn to to write a little bit more immediately to get people uh, engaged and, and it, i mean it made for some late nights certainly um but it wasn't a thing where i would write in the morning and people would read a bless you boards article you know at the same time they're writing reading the free press or the detroit news yeah yep and it I mean, and, and that was really the way it was, you know, kind of anywhere on the on the internet at that point. And now we've, you know, we've reached the point, and I, I've obviously been part of this the last, you know, six years or so. Where I mean, you have you have to be so on it. You have to, you know, if you're not, you don't necessarily have to be first, but you have to be pretty close to it, and you and you still have to be right. And um, it's just put so much bizarre pressure on people who, love, you know, by and large, make no money doing this. Um, and, and I, I yeah. laugh at how hard I've worked over the last, you know, couple of years for, uh, for what, you know, what we're paid, um, you know, to be up like writing up all the minor league games, because that's what people have really cared about the last two years and what the prospects are up to. But having to do that, like every night, basically during the season, uh, has just been, you know, kind of brutal, but at the same time, I mean, my interest kind of goes along with the fan base on that. So like, it's been fine. Cause that's who I've wanted to watch too. I haven't been watching actual tiger games all that much the past couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, sorry, it's, it's, it's tough to watch. So, I mean, it's, it's truly, you just go by starting pitcher, you know, like if, if Matt Manning is starting, I'm watching Erie, you know, if Casey Mize is starting, I'm watching Erie. If Matt Boyd is pitching, I'm watching the Tigers. You know, that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. I, I just, I, I would imagine. And so 
2008, pretty dis- get Cabrera, but pretty disappointing year, right? So uh, 2009 starts getting interesting, go pretty deep. Have, I think that was game 163 that, that year, 2009, right? Yep, so, yep. And yep. so what, what was percolating back in 2009 when things were starting to take off on what became a, a pretty great seven, six, seven-year run for the Tigers, Ian, what was happening by then? I, I, they're just more interested in the site. The the game threads had really become a thing. You know, like, like we would, you know, hitting a, a, a thousand comments, we would have to open up other posts just to, to uh, so people could keep up uh, w- with all the comments. You know, we had a lot of regulars. We had, uh, they weren't called memes at the time, but we had a lot of memes uh, in the game threads. You know, Todd Jones would come into the game. We'd have this picture of, of this uh, young black girl who was about to throw up on a roller coaster, <laughs> and that would get posted every time Todd Jones came into the game. So uh, there was a lot of fun stuff like that. But you mentioned game 163, and that was maybe that was a turning point in a lot of ways for the site because uh, there i was asked uh, to to write about the tigers side of that game for usa today and uh susie solheim uh w- was asked to write about the twins um so i didn't get to write as much since the tigers ended up losing that game but that really was I, I'm the, I don't know in terms of comments and interest and whatnot it, w- what the numbers would say, but I, I really do think that was a huge turning point uh, in terms of, of the community and, and making uh, Bless You Boys Game Threads uh, such a destination. Yeah, I, I don't think people, you know, especially now, can really comprehend the level of public interest both in, you know, Bless You Boys and just the, the level of citywide fandom it was you know in, intense to say the least and it's it, it's fun to think back upon you know plus the, you know the technology of blogging interacting twitter had just started then and uh it's gonna be really interesting to you know you look now and i i would imagine you know look i'm 64 years old and far be it for me to be too fluent on technology but i would imagine that there'll be some you know, some what Twitch feeds that people will just kind of congregate in areas and discuss the game while the game's going on, sort of like almost, you know, like they do actively on, you know, Twitter. That's basically almost in many ways superseded game threads where you have an active conversation with tons of users going on. You know, it's a very similar platform to that. Well, so, you know, and we've, we've seen, you know, the, not just not just major league baseball but a lot of leagues like you know learn something you know from from the the blogosphere and 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 try to adopt some of those practices into generating their social media presence and one of the things i've been expecting all along is that at a certain point you know you're going to go on mlb tv to watch a game that night um and and it's just going to be a comment thread underneath it where everyone can kind of talk it out but yeah at the same time comment threads have also you know are also not everyone's favorite place um you know and moderating that and trying to deal with it versus you know how valuable that actually is to to a given site is is becoming a a different uh, cost benefit analysis these days because you know whenever you start having like fights break out or like people arguing with yourself you question like is this is any of this even worth worth doing or, or generating uh at this point um, and it kind of, you know, another thing that started in 2009 for, for people who are blogging and not, you know, like professional journalists is that you started having to cover things like, you know, Miggy's arrest, um, 
you know, yeah. you know, topics like that start coming up where, you know, you have to really figure out for yourself, like, how far should we be going with this? Or should we just kind of, you know, follow the lead of the free press and just link people to those stories? Um, and that, that stuff has always been a, a hard thing to balance ever since I've been at Bless You Boys, too. Well, in some ways, I think that's one way where a site like Bless You Boys actually uh, can be better than a mainstream site like the Free Press or the uh, Detroit News, where when those MIGI arrests happen, I mean, like, we, this was a place for people to talk about it, you know, people to, to share their surprise or their disappointment or some people who, you know, of course, there was some rumor and scuttlebutt, like, oh, yeah, I know a guy who was in the Townsend Hotel that night or, or, yeah. or things like that. And then, you, you know, you'd hear other stories of, uh, you know, Dombrowski having to pick up uh, Miggy uh, from the police station. But, you know, and there were some some rumors and, and, and things like I would get some notes about things that, you know, okay, we, we couldn't really go public with or, or just uh, some speculation. But uh, again, I, I think that's where a community for a site like that really uh, helped give people uh, something to talk about and just work through a story like this, whether, you know, you were angry or disappointed or, or just, I mean, I mean it, it was a huge thing to cover for at least a, a couple of days. Yeah, but and then but you know so I I totally see that side. But then from the blogging side, it's the like oh we're we're kind of in journalism now. You know, there's that like okay, what are our standards? Yeah. Like, what are we going to you know assume is is okay to say, and what things are we going to withhold? Um, it seems like that's around the time period where yeah, like a lot of um, a lot of people had to start taking those things into account who weren't sort of professionally trained to do so. Um, and and it's been a trick all along. You know, we still get the Denny McLean you know, story about Prince, Prince Fielder and, uh, and Avisayo Garcia in the comment threads, like, you know, at least, at least 15, 20 times a year, you know, someone has to bring it up and, and mention it. And it's always just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that, that whole thing anymore. And then uh, getting, I mean, we weren't credentialed, uh, the whole time I was at Blushy Boys. I think that was during Kurt, Kurt's run when, uh, Blushy Boys, uh, finally got, uh, credentialed, uh, to, to, not just the Tigers, but spring training. And I think we, we the, he had somebody uh, uh, covering the team in Toledo. Um, so that was, but but to me that that the fact that we weren't credentialed was not to say it was a strength, but I mean people, most people watch the game on TV. So we were watching the game on TV. So it was no, I couldn't give you insight. I couldn't talk to Jeremy Bonderman after the game necessarily, but we were writing about what everybody had seen on TV. How could Bondo throw that pitch, you know, in the seventh inning or, you know, that error by Nafi Perez or whatever, yeah. whatever. So, so, I mean, I think it was a little more fan, well, fan friendly, but again, it was what, what we lacked in insight and access. Uh, we gained in relatability, I think. And that's something that's continued on to this day. Yeah. So for it, sure. Kind of fan driven really. Yeah. Ian, Ian, talk to me a little bit. I had written myself a note to talk to you about this. You know, how supportive were the Tigers of the site? And it was a totally different time of credibility for sites like Bless You Boys and for bloggers like yourself. You were obviously fighting the, yeah, he's the guy in the basement, you know. Right. <laughs> people... And now it's, you know, obviously bloggers are as mainstream as beat writers. It's it's a totally different place. I mean, and, you know, discuss 
how that's transitioned. I mean, look, you're a, you're a credentialed media person now. I mean, you're totally, you know, from where you started, from where you are now, but go back to where you started, how the team dealt with guys like you and, you know, just the credibility and how you built it and how sites like Bless You Boys generated that credibility level. Well, I did have a little bit of a shortcut, and then I did work as credential media the year before I, I took over Bless You Boys. So uh, the team, the media relations staff, uh, and, and so forth, were familiar with me and, and knew that you know that I wasn't going to just be a guy uh, in the basement. I mean, I, I still, you know, what was irreverent and uh, would, would make fun of the team or make fun of media, but. Um, there was, there was some reach out, uh, Ron Wade, when he worked for the Tigers, uh, he was really progressive, I think, in, in reaching out to bloggers and, and trying to establish a relationship with them. Maybe, I mean, it, it helped the, the, the Tigers as well. Uh, you know, some promotions with pause or, or, or something like that. Uh, but there, I wouldn't say there was that much uh, of a relationship. I think we were still kind of on the outside looking in, uh, like I said, we were not credentialed. So I think we were still, uh, regarded as a blog, but I had a little bit uh, of credibility with the, the media relations staff. Uh, They knew me. Um, I, I knew some people uh, to talk to if we needed some information or some help, but I think it was still a couple of years before uh, the Tigers really started to embrace sites like Bless You Boys and, and realize what an asset that could be uh, in, in terms of get, getting uh, you know their message to the fans or relating to the fans. Yeah, it's still kind of a back and forth, you know. Like sometimes, sometimes we're you know. In really good, you know, in good vibe with them, and things are fine. And then other times, you know, there there will still be times when we get a few notes that they're not happy <laughs> happy about something. Um, you know, so it goes a little bit back and forth. But yeah, it's just so much more established. Um, and yeah, that's that's the work you guys did back then. By the time I got there, um, I, I think the you know the the whole thing had so much momentum. It was easier to just jump on board and and kind of ride it. There were there were some standards and practices in place. Um, it wasn't like a surprise that some person who wasn't hired by a, a media corporation might be there interviewing people or, or, you know, writing in a way that, you know, was pretty accessible and, and a lot of people were hearing it or, um, or reading their work. So yeah, um, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting ride for sure. But um, yeah, I kind of felt like I came in and jumped onto a, a train that was already in progress. And so, yeah, I've always been a little curious about what it was like earlier than that. So Ian, what year did they, did, did, were you able to get player inter, you know, how much player interaction with the site and, and what about doing things like uh, prospect list and things like that? Cause I, I know my kid for a, was, did it for a few years. I, I got to remember, I don't remember what years he did it, but I think uh, 11 and 12, maybe he was writing the prospect list there. I, I have to ask him, but uh, that sounds right. You know, but it, but, you know, what, what was the genesis of expanding site coverage into those type of areas where maybe you got some player interaction and you got some, and you started doing prospect stuff and expanding the content. You know, one person uh, who deserves a lot of credit is uh, John Fuller, who used to be Curtis Granderson's publicist. And he, 
he was really good about reaching out to bloggers and, and you know like finding like in the old uh, AOL instant messenger days like ringing us up and say you know just introducing himself and saying hey you know Curtis is having this charity basketball game or, or something like that so I think it was about 2009 maybe 2010 uh, when we started uh, to to talk to players or at least we, uh, th- there would be some interaction or some awareness or that the players were aware of some of the things we were writing, some of the things that were going on, uh, maybe even uh, some of the, the game threads uh, uh, that were going on. But, um, I mean, I, I think that probably took uh, an even bigger step uh, when Kurt uh, took over the site uh, in 2010 was when we they really started. I mean, they, like, they were actually breaking some stories, like certain people getting uh, called up from Toledo uh, and so forth. Yeah. Mm, yep. Been an interesting ride. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't really know how much you are, you know, are obsessing about the Tigers these days, but um, kind of what's your been a pr- impression been from afar of the, the rebuilding effort over the last couple of years? Well, you mentioned that uh, you hadn't been watching too many games, and I, I was really relieved to hear that because I thought, man, I haven't been watching much either. Uh, last year was actually the first time in 10, 12 years where I actually didn't sign up for uh, MLB TV because I just thought I'm not going to watch the Tigers. I just I, I can't imagine uh, watching them every night. Um, but the impression of the rebuild, and it's probably influenced somewhat by Mark, uh, on Twitter is just uh, you, you know what a what a seemingly terrible job Al Avila uh, has been doing in developing truly the depth of the organization. You know, like he, he's been really good with, with the top uh, draft picks. Um, I don't know if we. I'd be curious what you you think about this, Brandon and, and Mark. I mean, Dave Dombrowski was so good at making even middling prospects somehow seem like they were worth getting like they were like they they were part of some big trades uh that you know you think they 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 didn't make like the top prospect lists uh, uh, of baseball america or baseball prospectus fan graphs or something but somehow dombrowski was able to sell them as major pieces in so many of the trades that he made he, well i brandon and i have done many a show together discussing these things but i, I think that Weirdly, you know, Dombrowski gets a rap as he didn't draft well and he didn't develop and flesh out his system. And I think it's fair he had some just mind-numbingly terrible drafts where, you know, the just the reliever draft and a few other things. He's like, what the was The reliever that? draft, yeah. yeah. What was What was that? But at the same time, when you look at the era back, his uncanny ability to overcome some of those issues with trades for either first-year major leaguers or guys that were two years into their career that had much control and not a lot of mileage on them, Lots and lots of inexpensive, controllable players that were at the major league level, especially in the Leland era, that they leveraged into really good players. I mean, even a player at Cleveland who, like Peralta, you were just like, 
yeah, Peralta's washed here. And, you know, look, obviously there were a few enhancements going on by Johnny Peralta. But at the same time, when you go back and look at how much money and how productive John Peralta, Johnny Peralta was after being acquired essentially on waivers for who, who was that guy? Soto? What was the guy's name? Giovanni. Yeah. Giovanni yeah. Soto. The other Giovanni. Soto. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and it, not only did he have three or four years with the Tigers that were super productive, he had multiple years with the Cardinals that were super productive. Yeah, he had and, a he had a knack for finding the guy right before he broke out that that few GMs you know will ever will ever have. And it's not like it happened that many times, but you, but you find one Max Scherzer. You're the guy who trades for Doug Fister right as he hits his prime. You know, he did that kind of thing, you know, over and over. Um, and, you know, in a way, I think of him as almost the reverse of Vila because he could make more with less, whereas Avila has had all these guys to trade. He's had all these top, you know, top draft picks to use, and he's done okay with it. You know, like, the, the system is, is pretty good, but we still have, like, nothing at the major league level. Um, still hasn't really made those kind of small trades or or hit on those guys who had a little bit of a breakout coming. Um, you know, maybe someone like Nico Goodrum, you know, takes takes a little maybe. bit more. Yeah, it takes a little bit further step forward and kind of looks like a guy like that. But but overall, there's just kind of been a lot of nothing, um, a lot of a lot of fear to make trades. I I feel like um, not very yeah, aggressive. I think one thing, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this plenty. You said fear to make trades. I mean, I think that's the one, to me, that's the one indictment that's, that's strongest against Alavila is that he has waited too long to make trades. And, and part of Dombrowski's strength, I think, in trading those prospects is that he didn't, he, he traded those guys. He traded Cameron Maben and Andrew Miller while they were still thought of as top prospects and their performance hadn't necessarily uh, done anything, that they hadn't played enough. Uh, you know, to to dispel that notion, he traded guys while they were still highly regarded. You know, selling high. I mean, he even did that at the major league level with uh, Curtis Granderson. You know, Curtis Granderson wasn't going to get any better. And how about Curtis Granderson? How about spinning Edwin Jackson and getting back? You know, yeah. Max Scherzer. I mean, yeah. come on. I mean, it. Th- this is this. We've we've listened. We don't want to get me down this rabbit hole. It's very very <laughs> ugly and. It's probably, I, I would have to go start uh, calming myself off air. But, you know, yeah, the, the, self-soothing the thing, required. Right. The, 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 other th- the other thing that's really interesting about Dombrowski is he didn't just do that, those kind of things, for the Tigers. Yeah. He, did yeah. Them, he did them for Florida. He did them for Montreal. The, the, the history of being shrewd and it all never it was never the same way he but yes he rebuilt he he built florida up he re they rebuilt florida they you know the expos team that are you know many argue that got the pennant stolen in 94 which was just loaded he he was not there then but he had just recently left prior to that and the the weird discussion about that Ian that I always have now when I look back about Dombrowski and I think I'm not telling anybody who listens to either of our podcasts uh, you know anything about Dave Dombrowski they haven't heard from us before but I am a obviously a huge Dave Dombrowski fan is that weirdly 
with the Tigers, what is disappointing now looking back five or six years in the rearview mirror about it is that for the first time in his career as a GM, he kind of missed the wave of what was coming and he did not surround himself with new young forward thinking minds that may have been thinking about things differently than he did he i mean the legacy of two previous tenures when he was both in florida and in montreal there were there were lots of smart people that he had surrounded himself with that were young kind of like weirdly like you know the tampa bay even houston kind of circumstances were in cleveland where it was a breeding ground for forward thinking baseball minds and he did not do that here and you you kind of wonder if he would have done more of that here some of the failings like the bullpen maybe new more new age analytical you know tech oriented or just player development thinking may have helped them get over the hump of filling in a, a few areas, you know, plus obviously look, luck is a part of it. And I don't think it's unfair by saying that, but it's, it's weird because of, of the 35 years that Dombrowski did it, his, his last four or five or six years in Detroit, as great as it was, that in retrospect is what was missing. And, you know, what just obviously triggers me to no end is yet still his staff basically took over for him. And it was maybe of all the years that he was a general manager in baseball, the worst staff he ever had that took over for him. And, and we have now been yeah, settled maybe, with maybe the one staff that didn't really have anything to offer besides Dombrowski, you know, I mean, there, there, this isn't, I mean, it's not, you know, we get into this where, you know, it, it's easy to be hyperbolic and be like, these guys are idiots. And I don't think they're idiots. I just think they're, they're very, very middle of the road, um, very average guys. But to bring that topic to the, to the current situation, it just feels like Dave Dombrowski would have traded Kristen Stewart when he hit, you know, whatever it was, almost 30 home runs in double A. Like that would have been a guy he would move then. He would have been the one who moved Michael Fulmer in the 2017 season and got what he needed to get out of it rather than like, well, we'll just kind of wait and see how things go. Um, I'm sure you're refer- you know, you're thinking of Nick Cassianos and, and some of the other guys too, who it was just like, yeah, we're not going to get, we don't, we're not going to get everything we want here. We're not going to uh, trust ourselves to take some young prospects that we think might turn into the guys we want. We're just going to sit here until all of our options have, have expired and then we're going to take what's offered. Um, and they've done that, you know, several times, unfortunately. I mean, I, I still, I mean, we've talked about it in the past few days, Brandon, is that I, st- I would love to have been a fly on the wall when, when Scherzer turned down the money. And it, it just seemed very unlike a Dombrowski type of tactic to just not be willing in any way, shape, or form after they had done so many huge deals with Boris. It's just the fact that they didn't at least keep their finger in the in the game there where, yeah, just come back to us with your best offer, and we'll tell you if we want to meet meet it or not. It was like, yeah, get out of here. We're not ever discussing any of this with you again. It it just, you know, at the era, you know, I think we've we've gone over this. You know, that obviously was the beginning of the end of the era when you look back on it now. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's 
you guys have now taken well, me back to well, and then there's yeah, even if we just kind of talk about the things that Avila said he was going to do, you know, from the beginning, that he was going to do those things and modernize the organization. He was going to build up the farm system. He was going to find, you know, have the depth at all levels to, you know, to kind of bolster a major league team when it needed it. He was going to be proactive. They were going to develop, you know, their own analytics database. They were going to hire all these analysts. I mean, it's really taken, you know, I, I feel like we're just there now and it's been five years, you know, and anyone who's read The Cubs Way um, by Tom Verducci, which I've recommended to a lot of people and oh, how they, they just they, they just walked in there and, and in like a year, they had all that stuff done because they already knew how to do it. And it's like we yeah. waited for these guys to learn how to reinvent themselves rather than just hiring the guys who knew how to do it, you know? We waited for the dinosaurs to evolve. <laughs> it's, it's taken them five years to get to where most every other team is right now. I mean, they were just so behind. Yeah. And then I think that is the great indictment uh, of the, the Dombrowski era. And I think it's also why I don't think he's ever going to be a GM again. I mean, I don't know how, what his prospects are in that regard. I mean, he, he, he might even have the 2018 Red Sox sign-stealing scandal attached to him if he were ever to, to try to get another general manager job again. But I don't think he'll ever be a general manager again for the reasons we've been talking about, that he's too behind when it comes to analytics and hiring that kind of staff and looking and being that forward thinking uh, with the game. I don't know what sort of role Dave Nebrowski wants in baseball, but I, I don't think it'll be as a general manager again. Um, team president, maybe, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm not. I wouldn't rule it out, Ian. Seriously, I just think he's that smart. Well, I think he and, could work for the league too. It's always seemed kind of where maybe it would end. Like maybe he would yeah. be a commissioner or something someday. I don't know. How, how about this? If I were to wager, I think Dave's taken this year to Dave is six, sixty-four. Just to put that yeah, out there, I get it. But I think that he has probably taken the year to reflect back upon what he thinks he did well, what he thinks he needs to do better. And I bet you he's brushed up on every new age thought tech, everything you could possibly want to expand your thought about in new age baseball. And I would say when he comes back, he will also, because he's 64, surround himself with a lot younger, more forward thinking guys. I, 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 sure. I, and I don't rule out the idea that he will come back because you know, he's got two world series and just a ridiculous amount of playoff. I mean, do I think you can just go out and buy a bunch of free agents and get rid of your farm system to become competitive as a methodology anymore? No. And I think the fact that you're going to have a CBA after next year that Actually, it might be more possible this offseason than, uh, yeah, than most but, because there is going to be nobody spending on free agents. But no, I'm, I'm joking. It just feels like there's, there's only like a team or two that really have that kind of um, just that kind of feel that like a Dombrowski could come in there and have that owner GM relationship where they're going to spend a lot of money and, and, and really go in. And that's really the only circumstance I'd, I'd really see him, you know, getting that job. Um, you know, somebody like Artie Moreno decided at some point he was actually going to really like go all in and try to win. Maybe he would do something along those lines. But um, but yeah, I think Dave's Dave's time is, is done. And like Dave's failings got reflected in the fact that, you know, Dave always seemed to get more more than he gave. And then we reached a point right as Avila took over where it was just really hard to do that. Um, you know, it's just much more codified in terms of what 
uh, minor yeah, league yeah. players and prospects are, are going to be valued, you know, as, and the same thing with major leaguers. And it just right. got harder to really pull a fast one, I think, on anybody. Yeah, currency values of players changed. So where prospects used to not be as highly valued, now they're everything. Probably overvalued, to be honest with you. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, the course, the course of the game changed. So, so Ian, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and, and, you know, where you're doing it, where people can find you that kind of, you know, tell, take us, take us to the evolution of the career of Ian Castleberry. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I get just real quick, if we can, if I can circle back, I realized after what you just said that I never answered your question about how uh, we covered prospects and so mm-hmm. forth back when I was uh, with Bless You Boys. And we were very in the early days. They're just the the interest and the knowledge of minor leagues was growing. I mean, people were aware of prospects, but certainly not to the extent uh, that they are now. And, and I think that's maybe one reason why. Uh, we kind of went by the organization's word as to who uh, uh, some of the top prospects were, or you know, we knew that Cameron Maver and Andrew Miller, et cetera, uh, uh, were top draft picks. But we just didn't have uh, the 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 coverage, or we had some interest for some commenters. Uh, there are a couple of commenters who who were really interested in minor leagues, and we tried to to bring them on as writers. I remember Matt Wallace, who who ran. Uh, a Toledo Mudhens blog uh, at the time. I, I really wanted to get him on the site to write about the minor leagues, but that wasn't nearly enough uh, a, a, a part of the site. And I think that's something that that's really changed. Um, and, and I wonder how it would be. I think we would have to, if I were, if I had taken over bless you boys now, I mean, I, I think that would, that would be the fundamental, that would be the foundation of the site. Like we would have to know, uh, a lot about the minor leaguers, but there's so much more information, so much more interest. Uh, you know, your son Jordan had Tiger prospects for yep. a, a few years, and that was a, a huge resource. Uh, I mean, he was somebody that you know I, I could email, like, hey, you right. know, what, what have you heard about this guy? And he, you know, he could just rattle off, okay, yeah, you know, he's okay, he's just an organizational player, or no, he's actually somebody who could be a major leaguer, and. Um, that that was only when I was at Bless You Boys. That that felt like it was mostly in its early days. Yeah. It was. And and, fu- and funny that at that point in time, his partner going to minor league games was now the super world famous Brian Sikowski. So <laughs> no kidding. All uh, right. Yeah. So uh, you know, and that's that's the scouting director of perfect game so that's that's a heck of a prospect guy to say the least so um well and even even yeah even 2014 2015 you know there there was interest and stuff but you know it we still only had you know maybe two or three four guys at a given time who you know there was major interest about um and yeah it was really 2017 it it just really has taken off and i mean you see that in in just the, the sheer number of you know prospect sites and fantasy prospect pro you know <laughs> prospects this this prospects that like there's you know there's sites and and pop-ups um coming up everywhere with people having that interest but yeah especially for the tigers yeah it was really 
it was really that Matt Manning draft and then, you know, getting Casey Mize and, and trading off all the old veterans where this became like the whole the whole of the coverage that was really of much interest to anyone. Um, and that's why I kind of just went 100 percent into the prospect stuff myself, because I was already interested in in that. And yeah, after 2017, it was just pretty obvious no one was going to pay much attention to the Tigers for a while either. And that would include me most of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. I think we were fooled on a lot of prospects too. Mark mentioned that reliever draft and we paid a lot of attention to that. Like these guys, yeah. you know, this was going to be the bullpen of the future. I mean, I can't even remember uh, some of those names, but you know, it, it, there were like four or five arms that, that the Tigers uh, invested in, in the draft. And none of those guys ever made it to the major leagues or they just had a, a cup of coffee. And I, and I wonder if that kind of soured, some people uh, on the viability of following these prospects like oh they were just highly touted but they never turned into anything but then i think what changed the interest uh, overall in major league baseball and for tigers fans as well is to see how some teams like you know like the royals like the cubs like the phillies like the astros you know they they invested heavily into prospects they had their fire sales they were sold on okay these these guys are the future when they develop they're going to come up and we're going to win with these teams and those teams for the most part did it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, th- that's kind of what the Tigers seem to be banking on is like, Hey, you know, believe us. So we're developing those guys too now. And we're going to do the same thing, follow the same path, but we know so much more now. Um, you know, the sites like bless you boys, Mark on Twitter pointing out that, okay, you know, what we're being sold is not actually the truth. Uh, people just know a lot more. Yeah. And no better than, than what they're being sold now. The the level of coverage from places like like a Fangraphs now is just so far beyond. Yeah, would have been back then. So there there are independent resources of people who've actually done pro scouting and and worked for teams who, yeah, can kind of push back against that stuff. And I I like to mention Fangraphs in particular, not because I'm so sure that like Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel were better than everybody, but the way the the way they processed the information and presented it. Um, was just so much more organized and and you know accessible and understandable to the to the casual fan that I think they probably did a lot of uh, a lot of the heavy lifting on that that score as well. Um, people do understand a lot a lot better now. You know what what it means. I mean, if you say someone's a a fifty future value guy, like people know what that means now. You know, and yeah. even five years ago, I would have been like, I think that's about an average player, but I'm not 100 percent right. sure what FV stands for. Yeah, I mean, and it's so it's so accessible and presented in an understandable way but the the quality of the information is so good it's like what prospects lives did this year covering the draft it's like you know listen major league baseball has their own media arm that covers prospects with with mayo and callus and it's like they they were and nobody barely paid any attention to them this draft season it was like there were so many alternative, uh, more comprehensive, more new age, video-oriented platforms to listen to people discuss things that had seen the players, by the way, endless amounts more than, than you know, the old-school type of sites. And, by the way, ironically, it made some older-school sites, that, or at least sites that had pedigree, like, I thought Baseball America this year, they did a great job. They stepped their game way yeah. up yep. because they have to. And it, it's it's very interesting. You know, it's like why I like talking to you about the, the early days of what 
used to be in baseball coverage from an underground way, Ian, is, is that it's, it's amazing now. I mean, a site like, you know, two sites, you take, take prospects live and take pitchers list. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And those sites are, are not that old and the quality and content of those two sites is amazing. So, uh, it's a long way from bless you boys in 2008, you know, so to say the least. Absolutely. I mean, sites like Brooks baseball too, you know, the, the, uh, you know, you, you, the heat maps and, and things like that. And what sort of movement location pitchers were getting, how, how strike zones were being called. Uh, that was something that, that was very much in, in early days, you know, uh, we, we were running MLB game day, you know, while we were watching the games, like, Oh, that looked like a strike on TV. No yeah. MLB game day says that was outside. Uh, and that, that was just the beginning of not, taking what tv or or conventional uh media was giving us also with minor leagues i mean mainstream media i think you know the the free press the news etc were way behind the ball on covering minor leagues it it, it was the blogs it was uh you know the sites dedicated to minor league baseball like you mentioned mark Uh, that forced mainstream sites i think to really kind of pick up pick up their knowledge, pick up their coverage of that side of the game. Yeah. And that's that synergy between where, yeah, like the, the blogosphere or the, you know, the social media sites or whoever with the beat writers, you know, and and you're starting, you see people getting hired across those, across those boundaries more and more. And yeah, you see the influence that, that the more innovative sites are having on the way the traditional sites have to cover it. And yeah, it's uh it's really, really forced everyone to, to amp it up and, and, and do a better job. Um, and it's still just an absolute dog fight out here. <laughs> a lot of the time, I, you know, you see sites start up and disappear so, in a year all the time, you know, just, just t- tons of them. So hey, Brandon, how many, how many staff writers you have at BYB now? I mean, we've probably got like 10 people, you know, technically on staff. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, there's like a little specialty that they do or something else. Um, the last two years, you know, it's just been so unpleasant uh, a team to write about that it really it really kind of has been like me and rob probably writing 70 or 80 percent of the content and then yeah you know we've got adam, adam dubbin patrick o'kennedy um jacob markle doing a lot of prospects or draft stuff for us um and a couple other guys you know chipping in and helping out with um you know with coverage behind the scenes with uh, moderating yeah all the, all that kind of um secondary stuff but but yeah, you know, at this point, it is kind of down to just just a couple of us who are really like forcing ourselves to keep <laughs> to keep co- you know keep the coverage going at the same level because yeah, it's just, it has been a struggle. But but you know, I, I, the reason I asked is is that I th- I think about what Ian told us at the top at the top of the pie, which is <laughs> two thousand seven. He started was two thousand seven, right, Ian? That's yep. What he yep. Two thousand seven. Here's Ian. He's writing. Bless you, boys. He's by himself. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you have and, and you have ten guys. You know, at any time during the course of the year, doing you know, making contributions and articles. Yeah. Not to mention all the resources that you have at your disposal. You know, be it you know, Fangraphs, Baseball Reference, Statcast. It's it, you yeah. know. And here here was poor Ian in 2007 writing Bless You Boys all by himself. <laughs> yeah, well, we had a lot more, you know, say like in, in 2016, like you kind of see like the sites 
take the same path as the teams do. You know, I mean, we're basically going to rebuild ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, Can I also say that the the, the blogosphere is different, too? I mean, for one thing, I mean, I will admit as a site manager, I probably wasn't as good as delegating uh, as as Kurt and Rob uh, have been in terms of, you know, hiring people and giving them their specialty. But I think, uh, you know, in the the mid-2000s uh, up through maybe 2009, 2010, if somebody was interested in writing about Tigers minor leaguers or somebody was just interested in writing about the Tigers, they created their own blog. They did the, you know, blog spot or even like live journal or something like that. Now it's like you have to catch on or – to right. to write for a site like Bless You Boys, if you want to do that, I mean, you could start your own blog, but the it's so, so much more uh, of an uphill climb. Um, yeah. Where I I think now it not to say it's easier to build a bigger staff at a site like BYB, but I think you have a, a lot more people willing uh, and wanting to write for a, a bigger site, knowing that that's how they're, they're going to get read. That's the exposure they're going to get. Whereas in the past, they would have just created their own blog. Yeah. Like they, yeah, there just wasn't a, a pathway, you know, it didn't, it didn't seem like something that you could necessarily like, you know, go and write for some kind of, you know, not a major site, but a, but a, a well-known site. You just had to kind of do it and, and see what would happen. Um, that was, that was just the way it was back then. But um, yeah, then you know, there's a couple, there's a couple um, other Detroit blogs out there that are that are really good, and they've been hiring over at uh, Motor City Bengals and some other places. So yeah, th- there are places to go. But yeah, it's just there's just so much more content out there. I mean, that's just the way the internet is in general. There's just so much more of everything all the time. <laughs> like trying to trying to make a name for yourself or cut through the the noise is definitely harder than it harder than it was. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll ask what I I asked a few minutes ago. So Ian, tell us what you're doing now and where people can oh, yeah. find you. And <laughs> yeah, and I didn't mean to ignore, ignore no, that that's question. Okay. <laughs> we, we, but we want to hear where the journey took you. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I mean, after uh, uh, Bless You Boys, uh, I, I ended up uh, writing a little bit for M Live, and then I wrote for uh, Yahoo, uh, Big League Stew, uh, and, and then um, I got I. I started writing for Bleach Report, and that was a, a, a miserable experience. But that's when they really started to step up uh, their coverage, and and that that kind of burned me out a little bit. And uh, but then I caught on uh, with uh, the outside corner uh, with uh, Blogwin Media, and was writing about baseball uh, for them. But then Blogwin. Uh, separated into a separate company i hope this isn't too boring uh into uh, comeback media which is the site that uh, houses awful announcing and then awful announcing was is more of the money maker there uh in, in terms of writing about sports media and being able to sell ad revenues and unfortunately that kind of took me away from writing about baseball it was just like okay you know awful announcing is the money maker we need you to write uh, more for awful announcing and there just became less time to write about uh, baseball. So uh, unfortunately, over the past couple of years, it's been kind of painful that I just haven't been able to write about baseball as much as I wanted. And I think that has fueled a little bit of of lack of interest, at least uh, uh, in the Tigers. They just, I haven't followed uh, baseball as closely just because I wasn't writing about it. But I think especially last year, I think I really started to kind of find uh, the love as a fan again and think, okay, what, what if I, 
uh, what would I write about uh, if, if I if I was uh, following the Tigers every day, or if I was following Major League Baseball as a national sport? And one thing about this pandemic is that it's kind of you know with so much free time on our hands, seemingly there's been kind of this appreciation for the past, you know, uh, on on social media. And maybe that's one reason why you guys invited me uh, onto the podcast. You know, there's been kind of like, okay, who are the writers that influenced you or, 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 or the, the, the blogs that kind of gave you a shot, uh, you know, that, that showed you some kindness. And, and some writers have, have been nice enough to mention me uh, as because, you know, that time in the Detroit Tigers blogosphere, we were all rooting for each other. You know, yeah, sure, there was a little bit of competition. We wanted to do better uh, than, than some than uh, other blogs, but it was also like, hey, this was a really good article that somebody wrote. You should you should read that. Or hey, somebody's covering sabermetrics. If you know, we don't cover that much here. If you want to learn about it. Go check out this site. Same thing uh, with the minor leagues. So I, I think uh, with everybody kind of in these nostalgia trips, uh, <laughs> it's brought some uh, attention back. And it's kind of reminded me, as I've said in uh, direct messages with Mark, it's kind of made me think, okay, um, yeah, I, I think I, I would be interested, you know, in, in doing some baseball writing again. I had an opportunity to do a baseball podcast, which it just didn't fit into my schedule, but I, I can, I considered it, um, really strongly, but just knowing myself, I thought, okay, I'm going to put like eight hours a day into that and not even get paid for it. So <laughs> I, it's just not going to be worth it, but it did kind of, you know, light, uh, a flicker again. And I really do miss writing about baseball and I hope, um, with, with this season, even this uh, truncated season, that there's going to be things are going to be different enough, and there's going to be enough interest in it uh, that I will have an opportunity uh, to write about it again. Yeah, it does seem like it's going to be, uh, you know, depending on how much of a season we get, obviously, or or, or whatever comes with it, it's, it's going to it's going to require some um, some creativity by fans and and the bloggers and everybody to sort of like fill in some of the weird gaps that are going to be there, like watching quiet baseball games with no fans. And, you know, it's, um, feels like there's, there's an opportunity for, for that. You know, one thing that's, that's held up, I think about the Tigers fan base is that we are like among the blogs, we all are still pretty, you know, there's some, you know, some competitiveness I'm sure, but, um, by and large, you know, like we're all kind of friendly and and for the most part Mm -hmm. get along well, which is, um, which has been pretty cool. I mean, I'm good friends with all the guys at Tigers minor league report where, um, where Mark works, part-time and, and does yep. does his podcast and Roger's now working with Kurt at Motor City Bengals so a lot of a lot of the crew is all still around and um I just don't have time to read everybody anymore because there's just so damn much yeah. content now like there's so much coming out I don't even you know I don't really even bother trying to keep up um you know I'd love to be able to listen to everybody's podcasts and read everybody's articles but it already feels like the Tigers occupy you know six hours out of my day um even when they're this bad uh, so yeah, does, again, no way to make I, it all I, work. I hate to keep going back to these old days of blogging things, but like in the old days, like before, uh, you know, when uh, bloggers had a little bit more control uh, over uh, their own CMSs and so forth. But that's what you did. Like you'd say, "Hey, I write a Tiger's blog. Can you add me to your blog role?" Uh, yeah. you know, there would be a, 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 a list of, of, of links on the side. I think link posts. Uh, I don't know how many of those you guys do at Bless You Boys anymore, Brandon, but, but that was always a big thing too, like doing link posts, like look around, like who's writing about the Tigers. And that was a way that uh, we could promote other blogs or, or, or bring attention to them or, or just, I mean, obviously 
they help us uh, get content as well, you know, to, to, to write up those link posts. But I feel like maybe Twitter kind of uh, undercut that a little bit, you know, like a lot of people link to an article on Twitter, but I mean, what's the click through on Twitter? I, I still, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's very good. <laughs> no, it's probably not. We, we do still do the links post, but it's more like one day a week now. And we probably could okay. do three. There's probably plenty of content for us to do one almost every day. Okay. Yeah. So it's still out there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that, those aren't like bygone days or anything. So that, 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 that's good to know. That's good to see. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you make a great point in that, like the, the last three months, I think, have given everybody like this weird time or, you know, maybe some people haven't had less time than others, but you kind of can't, can't help but reflect on, on where your life is at a little bit more when something like this happens. And, um, you know, maybe what you want to do, um, you know, thinking back to like how you got where you are it's almost impossible for something like this not to serve as that sort of, you know, delineation point And that, that makes you think about it in terms of past and, and, and future. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of that going on, you know, people trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives next, you know, want, trying to keep in mind that you don't want to waste the day because we obviously see how, uh, how fast things can unravel. Um, and, it, and it's been <laughs> odd, but you know, you, now that you do some, you know, you do some NFL stuff as well. Have you like, do you have any sense of like, NFL versus MLB as far as like how they're approaching the pandemic and, and thinking about playing again, any kind of perspective on, on some of the differences, maybe obviously the I games are different, but what we're seeing the NFL is facing just within the past couple of weeks is how difficult this might be. I think this is something that major league baseball uh, had already faced that discussion got lost, you know, when the, uh, when whether or not there there was going to be a 2020 season became this financial uh, and salary dispute rather than a, a safety concern. Uh, but I, I think for, for so long, football, you know, when, when people were saying, oh, there's not going to be an NFL season, there's not going to be a college football season, you know, they, they'd get shouted down. Oh, shut up. You know, that's like four months away, man. You know, why, why are you talking about that now? Yeah. And now it's not that far away. You know, we're, we're what about a month before training camps uh, are supposed to start. Uh, but I think uh, the NFL is still going to have to follow. They're they're waiting to see what happens with MLB, what happens with the NBA uh, and the NHL. Um, so maybe they still have a little bit of luxury uh, of waiting. But as we've already seen in just private workouts, as opposed to organized team activities and training camp. You know, you're having multiple players test positive for COVID. And I think there was some thought from football coaches, players, executives that maybe this would have been farther along now than, you know, by, by the time July rolled around. And now they are they are facing the same problems uh, that Major League Baseball uh, was looking at back in April. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We were talking, you know, before the show kind of about how players have been preparing themselves and it's it's pretty been pretty clear that most players you know we don't really know like what kind of precautions they've been been taking but they've obviously been been practicing playing with each other um you know that we were, we talked about that Brittany Garoli article from the Athletic where Eric Cressy the uh, strength and conditioning coach who works for the Yankees now had all these people at his facility had like Verlander and Scherzer both throwing like all these people started finding out about it like I don't know to feel if I feel better about this or or worse to find that all these guys have been trying to practice and have been you know they've probably been trying to work out their own protocols and 
today, Chris Cotillo reported that MLB had 38 positive tests out of um, 3,185 people. That's 31, 31 players, seven staff members. So about one, one percent. Well, yeah, one percent ish. I was reading a, reading a little piece while we're doing the pod. It's 1.2 percent, and I think the national average these days recently has been as high as 7%. So uh, a pretty damn good job, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that gives me some optimism that these guys are at least trying to take it seriously. And and that's been the hard part. You know, there's such a, a wide-ranging amount of backgrounds among Major League Baseball players. Um, you've got And you've just obviously got a lot of young guys who probably feel somewhat invincible to these things and you just don't know if they're yeah. going to be able to stop themselves from going out to the bar and and doing the things that they would normally do after games or or during games um so i don't know maybe maybe that's somewhat encouraging um i don't know i know a lot of people who still feel like there's just no way this is this is going to come off and i've been kind of viewing it more as like a a 50 50 thing like if you can keep the you know the numbers relatively low and you're not you know having like very many serious cases Maybe this can go on, but it's just um, it's just a, a crapshoot, and no one has an answer right now. So, yeah, the thing we don't know is like what's the number that causes Major League Baseball or, or teams in the NBA and NHL? What's the number where they say, okay, we really can't do this? Yeah, we don't have. You a know, standard. is it is it more than twenty? Is it a whole team? Um, I mean, I think one thing that's definitely changed from mid March is. You know, originally, I think there was this thought that if anybody tested positive, okay, we got to shut down. Now there's this kind of acceptance, this realization that, okay, we are going to have some people test positive, but hopefully there's been enough time to set up a system where, uh, you know, those those uh, players can be quarantined and, and replacements can be brought in and uh, business can still be conducted safely. But, uh, you know, that might not be something we know until it actually happens. Like if, if you know, like two thirds of a team ends up testing positive and, and they can't really feel the team for a season. I mean, is, is that the backbreaker for this? Yeah, that, that would be my, yeah. you know, answer your question. I, that's what I fear most is that a team is going to have a guy test positive and he's going to infect seven or 10 or 12 other guys on the team. And yeah. then what are you doing? Yeah. And I mean, that also, something like that happening, even if it doesn't cause the season to shut down, can just really, you know, it's just going to really change the, the quality of baseball if, um, you know, I mean, it, just to put it in the Tigers' terms, if, like, you know, four or five guys on the pitching staff come down with it and can't pitch, well, all right, now now all of a sudden, whether you wanted to or not, you've probably got Manning, Mize, and Scooble throwing for you. Now you've got those guys in there. Um, you know, another team might have some of their, you know, their top players go down. All of a sudden they're not competitive. Um, obviously the first concern has to be people's health and making sure no one, you know, ends up permanently debilitated by this or, or dying for, you know, God forbid. So that's, that's the key thing, but the quality of the game is also just going to be really weird. And it's hard to look at it much more than a, than a kind of an exhibition season. Um, not just because of the game length, but just because, you know, COVID is going to be the um, the decider on on a lot of roster decisions. Unfortunately, um, it's a weird way to put it, but you know, it's it's just going to be can we just keep playing games somehow? And it's not like you can just reach down to some you know independent league pool and like, well, we'll just fill fill the roster up with a couple of those guys for the time being. Like all of a sudden, those guys are going to going to play in major league games. Um, you know, the teams have picked their sixty man 
player pools, and it's pretty hard to imagine that they're going to be able to go much beyond that. So yeah, it's just can they can they make it work and still feel reasonably competitive major league looking teams out there? I don't know. As as somebody who's been pessimistic generally through this entire process, though, I have to say it's been nice, even if it's video and pictures from a distance, like way back in the seats. It's been nice to see ball players on the field uh, in, in ballparks uh, for the last couple of days. And we'll see more of that hopefully uh, on Monday. So, I mean, I, I've been pessimistic all along, like I said. So this is giving me a little bit of hope here. Yeah, I'm trying to not um, judge everyone at the at the grocery store. <laughs> Lately, I've been like trying to just like lay my lay it back just a little bit more and just kind of, you know... I. It's just been kind of crazy watching this unfold in real time because, you know, you. I think a lot of people assume that, you know, scientists or doctors could figure this out as it's happening. And it just doesn't really work like that. You know, you're they're all lacking in data um, and, and just trying to kind of figure it out as, as it goes. But, you know, it feels like it's more contagious than than maybe we initially thought. But by the same token, that it's maybe less deadly than, than we thought. Not, you know, not, you know, not with any kind of comfortable degree. But um, but it does feel like you know the the actual death rate may be less than we were, than we feared, um, but you know we we're just a whole bunch of amateur scientists out here trying to trying to do the best we can, and then you've got all the politics, um, you know that have unfortunately been injected into the mask wearing uh, situation, and I don't know I I just want everybody to uh, to just wear their mask and and do the best they can and be nice to each other because this is uh, this has been uh, pretty damn stressful. <laughs> For, for anyone, especially people with kids, which I don't have, I, I can't even imagine like figuring out, you know, school schedules in the fall and, and trying to plan all that has just got to be a nightmare right now. Oh, my sister is uh, just, you know, the, the thought of she has three kids and the thought that they they might not go to school. I mean, this is a decision that you wouldn't have dreamed of having to deal with. Like she may she may have to quit her job. I mean, if her kids uh, aren't in school, I mean, and then she has a really good job. She's a pharmacist and it's not something she should have to think about. And hopefully um, governments and school systems and other parents uh, somehow get together to figure something out. But, um, you know, how much has really changed since mid-March? I mean, we, we know a little bit more, like you said, like maybe it's not as fatal a disease as we thought uh, more contagious, but in terms of, of how how we're dealing with it, I mean, we're still, I, I don't know how much has really changed over the past three months. Yeah, it almost feels like we've gone backward. I mean, you look at these these breakouts, after all that time we took um, shutting down, we, we essentially gained nothing in, in most of the country. Um, Michigan's been an exception to that rule, but it's, it's taken off here a little bit again, too. And Anytime the governor changes the rules, um, and I can certainly agree that, our, you know, we, we've had some rules that were a little weird, um, you know, they're, they're all scrambling as well, but, you know, there, there's just so many people um, still resistant, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, it's just hard to see how we're going to get this thing under control until everyone at least, like, just gets on board with wearing a, a mask inside and, you know, taking some of these prescriptions seriously. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel the same way. It doesn't uh, doesn't seem like we've really made any progress at all, unfortunately. And the rest of the world is now uh, isolating us as a result. Which I can't blame <laughs> them for. I was planning on going to Iceland in uh, October. That's not looking so great right now. But, yeah, you know, if that happens, if that's the worst thing that comes of it in in my life, that'll be fine. Well, knock on wood, boys. I do think treatment protocols and the, how they <laughs> understand how to yeah. treat you when you come into the into the hospital and need treatment is much 
more sophisticated. They understand what to do. Far fewer people go on ventilators. The yeah. death rate, the death rate is uh, obviously coming down. They they kind of have a good idea of a drug protocol and regimen to, you know, treat people with. So in in that sense, I think they have improved uh, how people are being treated. Yeah, yeah. The, the response since, is better since 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 March, and you know what I'm what I'm hoping for is is that hopefully by you know December January that I'm not expecting that they're going to invent a vaccine, but maybe they'll be able to invent something along the lines of a like what a flu shot is, and maybe fifty percent of the time it works or provides some form of temporary immunity or yeah. something. But it's you know I think that. We're gonna, they're going to find out a lot of things about treating younger people because the way the disease now skews in, in Florida and Texas and Arizona, et cetera, it's much younger people are being infected. And, you know, I think it's naive of people to think that only old people like Mark Gorosh are going to die when they when they get uh, this disease. I mean, I'm 64 years old and I can tell you I'm a lot more nervous about getting the disease than you two who are much younger than me should feel about getting the disease. Not, not, you know, and I'm sure there's some genetic components to who. Yeah. There's some things like that, that maybe we haven't found out yet, but you know, like I, you know, I've got older parents, you know, too. my parents are in their seventies and we're in contact, you know, just about every day to some degree. So if I, yeah, you know, if I get it, you know, they're probably getting it. So that's, you know, you just always have to think of it in in that, in that, uh, but the game of telephone that that's going on or someone compared it to, um, having a whole bunch of people making a project with glitter, but only one person is supposed to be using the glitter, but everybody gets glitter, <laughs> you know, like there's just no way to, yeah, there's no way to avoid it. Uh, my sister's I, an I, ER nurse, you know, and I've got, I've got a couple of ER nurses in Southeast Michigan in the family um, besides my sister. And yeah, you know, they had, um, they had two nurses who were in their forties die of it. Um, they had a doctor who was in his fifties and was like a marathon runner. You know, he came through and, and eventually, you know, recovered, but, you know, he was on a ventilator for a couple of weeks, you know, and it's just now like maybe two and a half months since he had it that he's starting to feel okay, but he's also never going to have the same lung function that he had before, um, you know, and so a baseball player might, co- or, you know, football player or whoever might come through all that and be okay, but you might, you know, you very well might have your career ended by something like that too. So that's, that's the other part of it. It's not just, yeah, not just how many people are dying. Um, it, it, there's a lot more effects that can be uh, long-term and, and permanent from it than that. Yeah, oh, this is a, this is always fun to talk about. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, 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 COVID. Uh, yeah, it's just been, uh, you know, is, we've been talking, Ashley and I, if you heard that last podcast, that, like, it's just been an endless conversation of, like, how do we talk about the possibilities that are happening without minimizing, you know, the COVID part of it? You know, it's just impossible. Um, to, no, it, you're right. It's impossible. It's, I mean, it's the world we live in. I mean, that's, that's why the whole stick to sports argument has always been yeah. ludicrous. I mean, sports happen in the real world. They are an escape, but... What what is going on in the real world is very often somehow reflected in sports, and you can't talk about anything going on without talking about COVID and how how things could be affected. Yeah, it's hard to cover any single thing with a, a deep holistic perspective um, without yeah getting into everything because that's just that's just how life is. So yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Keith Law, I just don't understand. Sometimes I'm just <laughs> page a real quick article he wrote. <laughs> 
And he said, it is a mild surprise that Parker Meadows, their second rounder from 2018 and number seven in their system. I don't know who ranked him number seven in I'm sure Keith Law did, but you know, it's like, but he, he, he's mad that he's not on the 60 and I'm going, you know, Keith, if you would watch Parker Meadows play last year, you would know why he's not on the 60 right now. So yeah. God, bless Keith. God bless Keith. I mean, no, um, no one who hasn't played above a ball, who isn't a top prospect probably belongs on that 60. Um, so that doesn't, that doesn't phase me. I, I was wondering what, if they'd bring Riley green along and they did. And he has every right to be there and can probably handle himself against most of those guys already. So, and yeah. could probably probably hold the zone better than whoever's going to play right field for them in in the coming sixty game season. Um, I'm hoping it's Cameron Mabin, uh, <laughs> in which case I might tend to disagree. But yeah, I, that's a tribute to Ian Castleberry, Cameron Mabin playing right field in 2020, right? Cause <laughs> that's right. Take, take, Asheville zone takes cast cast back to to when you know. He was just starting to bless you, boys. That was the heyday of Cameron Mabin. That's right. Asheville's own uh, Cameron Mabin playing. You guys think he's going to play right field? Because uh, uh, that's where he played for the Yankees last year, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, he'll probably play a decent amount, yeah. Yeah. Mark they, Gorosh said if Cameron Mabin gets over 125 at-bats, that they should have the team secede from the American League. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but if uh, his replacement Victor Reyes got all those those at bats, you'd probably lose your mind completely. <laughs> yeah, we we know how I feel about Victor Reyes. Yeah, and uh, I, I like six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pound guys that have an ISO of a hundred. They're my favorite guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be quite an outfield this year. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, Jacoby figured some things out last year. If he's healthy, I am kind of curious to see what, what he's got to, uh, got to offer. Uh, see if he can tap into a little bit more of that power like he did last year. But yeah, there's not a whole lot to look forward to in the outfield. I'm afraid. I think he's going to have the, here's what I expect to happen to, to Jacoby. Jacoby, I think will, have either in his last year before free agency or when he's like 32 years old, he'll have the AJ Pollock year. Okay. And then you'll be. Someone will pay stuck. him. Then you'll have the conundrum of, do I pay 32 year old Jacoby Jones in his breakout season? Uh, you know, and the, you know, that's, I could see that kind of happening. That'll, that'll just, yeah. Well, didn't he just have a kid? I think he had a kid. I'm not sure if he got married or not, but, um, you know, if, if he's ever going to just, like, lock it down and, and give everything he has to it, like, it, you know, we should see it, right? <laughs> should, should see it this year if he's got got a little more to offer. That's what makes baseball a beautiful game, boys. Yep. So There it is. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. You guys about good? Um, what time is um, it? Ten? Oh, yeah. About, about two hours. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I hope that we took you back to some of your baseball roots, and you had fun talking about baseball, and you are are literally a pioneer uh, into in the, in the Detroit Tiger baseball scene, and looking where it is now. But I still think that it's just a wonderful story. The idea of 2007 that Ian Castleberry was the only writer at Bless You Boys and wrote every, everything, every piece of content that came out on it and to look at what the site evolved into and what podcasting has morphed into is it's just pretty amazing. 
Well, I'm unbelievably flattered that for you to say that and for you guys to invite me on this podcast. I mean, I'm sure there's people listening or, and people who read Bless You Boys now who have no idea who I am because it's been 10 years since uh, I, I've written uh, for the site. But it was a really special time and it, and it has been really nice to, uh, to reminisce and, and to see just amazingly just how far uh, everything has come um but yeah as you mentioned I, I it's probably not a surprise that i burned out after three years uh, <laughs> having to carry uh, so much more content brandy you say you've been writing for byb for six years um i would have loved to, to had a, a, a run like that but uh yeah I, I think i just burned myself out between between the writing and the moderating and then uh, other stuff, as you said, Mark, you know, podcasting and social media uh, were entering into it and it became too much. Maybe I should have been better at delegating. Maybe I would have been. But uh, by then, I think I was ready to move on. Yeah, I've, uh, I've felt that way, actually, the last year or two. Um, I've definitely felt kind of ground down. Um, I certainly wouldn't have wanted the season to get half canceled, but it's actually kind of been nice. <laughs> like I kind of, I really did kind of need like a couple months to just not have to do this every day and and uh, and back off because of course it still doesn't uh, doesn't really pay what it could. Um, so, but, but that's uh, always funny too is being a baseball blogger. You know, you see fans they say, "Oh, I can't wait." You know, the the off season is too long. I can't wait for baseball to start. I'm like, "Yeah, give me another month here." You know, like, yeah, like, I'm gonna go read some books and uh, do my other hobbies. It sounds great. Battery yeah. still needs some recharging. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, if the Tigers are good again, we're gonna try to reel you back in. Uh, we'll get we'll get you writing a little bit back <laughs> back with us if I can. <laughs> Pull me back in. All right. No, that, that would be great. And again, I'm really flattered. Mark, you, you've been really nice. The, the things that you've said, it has been a nice little uh, uh, nostalgia trip. And uh, this is your life, uh, Tiger's <laughs> blogging style. Uh, <laughs> to, Ian, you to, know where, uh, to... where you do come up again is that every, we haven't done this this year, but almost every year to introduce the season, we kind of do like the um, the bless you boys, like memes and, and sayings and acronyms for things, you know, going back as far as people can remember and uh, and you do come up in, in some of those. I'd have to look up some of those posts to see all of the, uh, yeah, the th- you know the memes and the the pictures that have come along all the over the years. We've still got the Aardvark, um, which I think goes back a, a good long way. The Vark of Victory. I'm not sure exactly when that one started. Maybe 2011 or something. Has but, yeah. has the Brandon in just watching you masturbate? Has that died a death? No, the, or... it still occasionally makes an appearance, but yeah, it's it's mostly. Yeah, I shouldn't have even have brought it up, but yeah. it, now people are gonna look. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna see that again soon. I'm sure. And out of context, you know, that I'm sure that sounds just horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's always out of context, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, again, I mean, the to see the, the community grow and, yeah, like before every season, like we tried to do like, hey, everybody introduce yourself because there was always new people and it was always uh, interesting and eye-opening to see just, you know, how many different places uh, uh, all of the readers and commenters came from and, and what their backgrounds were. Yeah, and they've done some, they've cool. done some and they've done some meetups too. Ian. Yeah, yeah, I never uh, took part in those. Uh, that that was a little bit after I left, but uh, I mean, what a cool thing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we can uh, get back in the stadium next year and and pull off another one of the goes. We had one had one planned. I think Patrick O'Kennedy had it planned for August, and uh, yeah, so we'll have to see if we can uh, get that started up again next year. But yeah, it's been awesome to talk to you about, talk to you about all this. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. So. Really appreciate you coming on, um, Mark. As always, great to talk to you, buddy. Even if uh, even if we both tend to agree on too many things and have to like manufacture yeah, arguments, <laughs> we're going to have a few arguments. I think that you know we're going to try to do a show here pretty soon and talk about 
how to a use lot. the roster. Yeah. yeah. We talk about the roster and how to build a bullpen. Mark Gorash has some very, very interesting thoughts about how the Tigers should be building a bullpen for 2020. And uh, I want to do that pretty soon. And we can discuss about who might surprise. And I got a feeling maybe my boy Jake Rogers is going to contribute a few things here in the 60 games that people aren't expecting. So I'm excited for you and I to have that discussion. And lastly, I'd like to say uh, if I'm Cody Clemens right now, I'm 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 not too happy with how all this shook out. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little a uh, little under pressure if I'm Cody Clemens for sure. Because <laughs> he's not young and they did not take him on the 60, so it's kind of weird. Yep. All right, so we'll get to that stuff soon, and um, yeah, Ian. Hopefully, uh, we we get enough baseball going, and uh, maybe we can have you back in uh, August sometime when we actually have some baseball to watch, and we'll, uh, we'll okay. give it another whirl. Cool. That'd be great. Until then, I look forward to listening and reading. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Ian. Have a good night. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.